Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the third edition of the Big Footy Bombers podcast for season 2021. I am your host, Sponsor 34, once again, and I am joined this evening for his second stint this year, although he will argue it's his third, but officially it's his second stint. Jade, how are you this evening? I'm going very well, and you're welcome for having me. And the other person this evening has not been on this time around, and I'm, I think he may have made it an appearance previously. Uh, I'll introduce him as Darrow's sidekick. It is Jamu. Ah, great to be here. And look, I was um, around one time in the last iteration, but the records of that time are sketchy at best. Yeah, some of the old ones have disappeared, which is very disappointing. But we will jump straight into uh, Sunday's game. It was one ten at Marvel Stadium, and of course, we did get the chocolates against Fremantle. Jade, I'll start with you. What, was, what were your thoughts? I mean, for me, it was a pretty dour game, and well, I suppose it was to be expected, considering uh, Pross and I did say last week, Freo are good at defending. So were you happy with the result, considering it was probably different to a style we've seen from the Bombers for the rest of the year? Oh, well, I've always been a person that, that says that Good times, even in ugly. Uh, sorry, good sides, even in ugly games, tend to to come out and win. I'm not saying that we're a good side, but it was nice to to get the win, even though the game itself wasn't of the highest standard. And I think we all all know that. A couple of positives in there for me was uh, first and foremost, we haven't been a side that seems to be conceding uh, a lot of scores early. Uh, and I think one of the one of the bugbears for me and, and many other fans over the last couple of years is we've, you know, we, we tend to fall behind by 25 or 30 points. You know, we seem to be jumping out of the gates fairly well. I think uh, uh, Longmuir was was correct when he said that Fremantle were probably the better side for most of the game. But, you know, as, as Essendon fans, we know very well that being better being the better side for, for most of the game doesn't translate to a win if you can't kick straight. And, you know, that's on Fremantle on that one. But, uh, yeah, look, not the prettiest game that we've seen. It was nice to see us adapt a little bit, although I think a, a couple of a couple of small bad habits did creep into it. But uh, overall, you take that and you run. It was a relatively even match in terms of we we're up, up against a side that we weren't particularly expected to beat or to lose to. So uh, nice to come away with the win. And, and Jamie, I'll swing across to you and it's sort of the same same question. Were you happy with the win? Um, I mean, we're always happy to win, but, you know, once again, it was a fairly ugly game. So, so what were your initial thoughts? Yeah, look, the Sunday games for me are, are very difficult to watch live. So I tend to watch Twitter and see the official EFC feed. I tend to also watch the AFL app to see what's going on play-by-play. Play. And, and I try to check in with the big footy board play-by-play. Play. And generally what happens is Twitter is very silent unless we're doing well. So that's very, very much the, the highlight reels. The AFL is good to see what's going back and forth, back and forth. And obviously our post is everyone is playing terribly. The umpires are terrible. You know, Parrish is terrible. Langford's terrible. Everything is awful. It's awful. We're playing horribly, horribly horrible. And then I, you know, get to watch the replay at some point. And we're pretty much right, bang on the money. We, we, were, we were pretty bad, but there was a lot of highlights to watch as well. There's a lot of great things, but it was a really scrappy, horrible game to watch. But it's awesome to be on the winning side of a scrappy, horrible game that's decided by a kick or two. 
which we've not been there for a long time. And, it, and it's usually where we're talking about, oh, but we could have done this and we could have had this and it's not for a call here and blah, blah, blah. But oh, I think for a horrible, scrappy game where we didn't play our best, we still managed to get over the line, which we, which we haven't been able to do that. And for me, that was the best thing about the whole performance. It was a bit shoddy at times, but we got the four points, which we usually wouldn't. And, you know, really, ultimately, who gives the care about whether or not it was a beautiful game? We got we got the four points where usually the last three years we wouldn't have. Yeah, well, and I think that's definitely something that we should take away from the game is is despite the scrappy nature and the ugliness and, and not being beautiful, beautiful football, we did win. Jamie, I'll, I'll stay with you for a moment because I, I feel like I know what Jade's response to what I'm about to say is. So I'll just let him stew over on the side and we'll see if my gut instinct is right. But one of the big things to come out of it was how Fremantle and Sarong specifically treated Zach Merritt. Now, off-the-ball hits aren't great and something we need to get stamped out. But at the same time, I think Zach is starting to react a little bit too much to just some niggly stuff around the contest. Every good player gets tagged and every good player gets niggled. And I think Zach is overreacting. I think he, I think he's letting the opposition know that they're getting inside of his head. What do you think? Do you think that maybe he's overreacting, or do you think how he's reacting is justified? And you know, off the ball is off the ball and shouldn't happen. Yeah, yeah, I get what you're saying. I think um, uh, was it last year or the year before when he kind of overreacted against the ball and Silvani broke his um, rib or whatever it was. So I think. Zach's caught between a, a hard place and a rock in that if he's going to do nothing, you know, obviously that's going to be the, to the detriment of the team. But if he's going to kind of react, he's going to get rubbed out because he's going to break a hand or wrist or whatever it was, or he's going to do nothing and kind of complain to the to the, to the umpire. So I, I don't know what he could do, but I, I, I got to say, I'm really impressed with what um, Rutten said at the end of it, you know, not kind of saying, oh, woe is uh, merit. He's getting roughed up he's getting bullied he just said oh it's great that they're calling out the off the ball incident so i think in that side of things it's great that the coach has kind of stuck up for merit but i don't know what else merit can do like he he's kind of reacted to it being kind of sticking up for himself and and he's got rubbed out because he's he's hurt someone and and what else is he going to do now kind of do the opposite and, and kind of call for a free kick to the umpire, none of which is really palatable to me. So I think what what is encouraging, though, is when his teammates are kind of flying the flag and, you know, trying to block for him and trying to rough up the people who are roughing him up, you know, in the spirit of the game. So I think I, I think he's doing the best he can do. Jade, I'm interested to hear what you're going to say. I'll just jump in before Jade does. I'm not saying that that he should accept being hit off the ball. I think if he's getting hit off the ball, absolutely. But he's getting niggled around the contest and he's losing eyes for the ball. I mean, he gave away a couple of very silly free kicks. And I know the argument can be made while they're doing it to him. But he's got to be better than that because the gun players... You know, the Judds, the Martins, they all have it happen to them and they don't react. And I think he's got to start acting a little bit more smart when this happens to him. But Jade, I know you're itching to have a, have your say, so I'll, I'll, let, I'll let you unleash. All right. Well, for a start, okay, Zach Merritt is not the first midfielder or, or the, not, not the first key player that suffered this, this sort of attention. I think uh, it's it's nice to see that his teammates are responding to it. We have seen incidents uh, in 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 the past where you know players have been hit or hurt or there's been some attention and teammates aren't responding to it. So it's great that we see that. But I say 
the teammates that should be helping him out in this, and apparently, uh, if, if I'm reading the tea leaves correctly, are is the teammates that actually don't take the field with him. I mean, Essendon is a big and powerful club as far as the AFL is concerned, and we all know that the AFL themselves only tend to react to these sort of incidences when there's media attention to it. So there's been two or three articles or comments from uh, highly regarded journalists over the last couple of weeks about the attention that he's getting, which I think is probably the club pulling in what little favours they have to say, come on, let, let's let's have a chat about this. I mean, the reality is if you... You, you can talk about how he reacts. Silvani is uh, and will always be not his father uh, and was a soft when he, when, he, when he had his rib broken last year or the year before, whenever it may, may have been. But, I mean, look, let the club sort it out in terms of getting the attention it needs to the... Uh, the attention it needs to the attention. I know it's a bit of an oxymoron, but it is what it is. And, and it'll be fine. How he reacts, I'm okay with. Uh, I think it's it's perfectly okay to respond with an incredulous nature if if uh, if that's what it is when you're receiving this sort of attention. And I think we all know that he has been receiving you know this sort of look in for a lot of games for at least the last three years. So yeah, look, I'm not happy about the attention itself, but I am happy that we seem to be at the very least trying to have a look at it. I'll be honest, yeah. I thought there was going to be a much bigger rant against Caleb Sarong in there. Do you know what? Don't get me started about Caleb bloody Sarong. I haven't, uh, I haven't heard any reports of Sarong uh, sliding into DMs like the flog last week was. <laughs> but look, yeah. I, I think, I think, I think what Jade has said is, is bang on. And I think you know, on the other side of the the thing, it's it's pretty cool now that we've got a midfielder. We've got two midfielders who attract that kind of attention. And you know, if if Zach Merrick gets a lot of attention, then you know, Parrish is going to get. 40 possessions and a couple of goals and then it'll be a time in a couple of weeks next week or the week obviously not this week with North Melbourne <laughs> but potentially the week after when you know they'll put a quality player on Parrish and then Zach Merritt will get under the leash and get 40 possessions and a couple of goals so it's it, you know I, I think it's it's great that uh, Merritt's attracting that kind of attention but I also think that Merritt is going to be able to step up for Paris because ultimately Paris is going to get that kind of attention as well in the next couple of weeks. I think one of the other things that pleased me in terms of late hits was Hind got cleaned up as well at one stage. And the first bloke who actually got across was was Andrew McGrath. He was straight across and was basically straight into the Frio player. And that was great from a young leader of the club. That's exactly the attitude you want. If someone gets hit, get in there and remonstrate and McGrath did, did it, he nearly went too far, but he just pulled back at the right time and made sure that we didn't reverse the free kick, which for me, for mine, was perfect. Just on merit still, though, Jade, if I can just draw you back to his game for, for a moment. One thing that I noticed from Merritt was doing around the ground was he was actually standing probably five metres back from the stoppage than he normally was. So Sarong was so busy standing, trying to man Merritt and standing away from the contest. And then you had another Freo player trying to cut his run. It actually meant that Freo were playing one or two players down at the stoppage because Merritt was, he was still getting involved with ball came his way, but he wasn't trying to get as in and under as he, as he normally would in that situation. Was that something you noticed as well? Or do you think maybe I was seeing things? No, no, you, you had it. I actually noticed this at the time that what it effectively was doing, it was, well, okay, let me, let me rephrase that. One of the complaints after the game was that perhaps Merritt wasn't handling the attention as well as he could. And look, it's valid if you if you can if you can point to why that is. But the reality was he was consistently keeping himself out of the contest, uh, and the only reason I could find to do that was to help draw the players off him as well. So I think personally that is 
handling the attention well. So, yeah, did notice it. You know, I thought it was a, a good display from a vice captain who was putting his own game to the sword, effectively. Wasn't wasn't really playing his his own best football for the benefit of the team. So, did notice it. Thought it was a good move. And, Jamu, you did obviously already mention him, but I will just bring him up because, again, he had 39 touches, kicked a goal, and every other stat you can think of, he dominated. Darcy Parrish, just how good has he been since Dylan Shields' injury? And did you think it was going to be such a silver lining to what was looking like it was going to be a pretty light on midfield when Shields went down? Yeah, look, I'm massively impressed, obviously, but I'm, I'll am i put my hand up and say I'm, I'm very surprised at the way that he's uh, stood up. And I've got to say, for a, you know, a relatively light and a relatively small midfielder, he punches well above his average, and it's great. And it gives me a lot of hope that you know our relatively light-fingered um, midfield can match it with the best of them because Darcy Parrish has just been a revelation in terms of being that big-bodied midfielder clearance machine that we need. And he, he's been great. Yeah, I'm not laughing because you're saying he's a clearance machine. I am laughing at the big-bodied midfielder part because I know that'll get a few people talking uh, once they hear it. Somebody and I'm uh, being deliberately provocative here, Bonta, <laughs> because <laughs> you look at the number of clearances that that dude can do and where he puts his body, and he doesn't necessarily need to, like, outbody people, but he can outbody position the opposition very, very well. And it's, and it's amazing. And I think once McGrath can now realise that, you know, Paris, who's no disrespect, is a bit of a lightweight compared to the other big body midfielders, if um, McGrath can kind of realise that, you know, if Paris can do it, maybe I can do it as well and throw my weight around a bit more and block and... I reckon we've got a couple of undersized midfielders who can be our big-bodied mids we need. Now, Jade, I will mention a player that I think you're very keen to talk on, and and that is, of course, Will Snelling. I was very impressed with him again on the weekend. I'm not sure if people realise, but he he was actually... He had seven tackles, so he was second in tackles, which is, you know, half the course for him. He actually had the equal amount of clearances for any player on the ground alongside Darcy Parrish. Now... Parrish had four seven clearances. Snelling only had the one. But around the ground, Parrish had seven for the day, and so did Snelling. How do you think Snelling's going? Is he still one of those bottom six in a premiership type players? Or do you think, no, he's probably moving into top 15 in, in the side type thing? If he's bottom six in a premiership side, we're going very well. Will Snelling has played very good football now for, for, for 15 to 20 games. He is a an absolute starter in our best 22. He offers something... Uh, unique to to the side. He gives us a, a great deal of forward pressure. And more importantly, I think he gives it to us a little bit higher up the ground than um, than Waller tends to do. So I'm, I'm, I'm a fan. I really like what he does. I'm really happy to have him in, this, in the side. But my God, was that a stupid decision. He's six <laughs> points up with a minute to go. And, you know, the players on the ground are aware of the fact that time is, is running out. You've marked the ball 35 metres out. Go back, take your 30 seconds, take a shot on goal. If you kick the goal, great. If you don't, probably the result is just the same, putting a seven points up. That was an uh, an idiotic decision to try and move that ball sideways at the time. And I've got to tell you, I'm just as disappointed in, uh, in Zaharakis in that particular moment as a senior player, a guy that's played a lot of games of football, has played a lot of, a lot of close games of football too, to even be calling for that ball. It was just... It was just an absurd play. Watching it live, I I, I groaned at the time, uh, head in my hands, thinking that's it. We'll we'll either end up drawing this game or losing it by a point. 
silly, silly decision that doesn't mitigate or replace the fact that he's been a, he's been a very good player for us. Uh, I still think he's probably sitting inside our top ten for for BNF at the moment, but. Jesus, I don't, I don't think I'm alone in uh, expressing a little bit of frustration in that in that second of madness there. Yeah, look, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna call you. I agree with what you say, but I'm gonna I'm gonna stick up for David Zaharakis here, and I think I get 100 percent what what was going through his head. So this dude is at the twilight of his career. His number one highlight reel is kicking the winning goal in the rain on Anzac Day back in, what, 20... I'm going to say... 20, 2009. 2009. And he kicked the winning goal on the siren. And now he's at the twilight of the career. He sees the opportunity. He's been chasing that dragon ever since. He sees the opportunity. He's going to do it. He's an addict, and I get it, and I don't... I don't Gonna, I'm not going to hang him to dry because he's calling for the goal on the siren. God love if him. That's, uh, if that's the case, and I don't think it is, if that's the case, I would suspect he's played his last game for us. Oh, 100%. I don't disagree with you. This is what's going through his head. He, he's, got, he's got that feeling. And he's going, I'm going to do it again. I'm going to do it again. And we're going to win the game. Oh, I actually, I think he did it again on Anzac Day a couple of years later. He did win an Anzac Day medal. But I think... My, my thought at the time was he was thinking to himself, this is my first game back. I haven't done anything. I need to do something. I need to get my hands in the ball. I'll take control here. So I think you and I are probably thinking similar things there, Jamu. But yeah, it was not a great decision to call. Um, but Snelling is not an 18-year-old playing his third game of AFL. This is his second club. You know, he, he really should have been able to think that one through a little bit better than he did. At the end of the day, it didn't didn't matter and it's definitely something that would never happen again if Will Snelling has his hands on the ball in that same situation so I think it's one of those ones we just sort of learn from and, and move on the other player that we'll talk about Jamu and I'll go to you first this time is Harrison Jones now he did kick two goals in the first I don't know five minutes of the game it felt like had about three touches for the rest of the game but having said that, he's a young, developing key position forward. Is he one of the more exciting key position forward prospects we've had for a very long time? I mean, obviously we had, but outside of, is he one of the? Is he the most exciting we've had? You know, nearly twenty years as a key position forward for Essendon. Oh, a hundred percent. I think Harrison Jones is the guy that I will watch when I'm fortunate enough to be able to go and watch games live, that I'll watch him again and again and again. I missed his whole career last year because I, you know, I really couldn't, obviously I couldn't attend any games and it was all a bit tedious to watch games on TV. So I'm not sure how he did or what he developed last year, but this year to watch him at games, he runs, he leads, he presents he does everything you want a fifth or sixth year key forward to do and he just does it again and again and again and I, I reckon he is the most exciting the most important player we have on our list and he is the one that I would if I had a duffel coat I would put his number on it if you had a duffel coat that is a flashback to the 70s <laughs> um, for anybody out there listening. But I, I think, I, in, in all seriousness, I think every time that um, anyone laments what's going on in our forward line, you just got to look at Harrison Jones. And he, if, if, if you're fortunate enough to go to a game and they don't 
they don't let you see it on TV, but he will run. He will run. He will. So every single time they show the ball in the forward line, he has he has run out from the goal line to the 15 meter line, and he'll run back, and he'll come back, and he'll come back, and he'll go forward and go back, and he runs and runs and runs and presents and presents and presents. So every time he goes up for a mark, he will have done an effort of you know, four of those. And so when he gets a mark, he has just earned it, earned it, earned it. And what he does and what he presents to the forward line, regardless of how many goals he kicks, and he's done a lot of goals and he's done a fair amount of marks over the last couple of weeks as well, but he has gone over and above to bring everything together for what we want this forward line to be. So unless he is desperately needing a break, he is the... 100% 100% linchpin for our forward line, and I'm 100% an unabashed fan of um, Harrison Jones, and I will fight anybody who wants to drop him or rest him. Now, I know that we've definitely got a big fan of Harrison Jones on the other side of this podcast, so Jade, once again, un- feel free to unleash on, on your love for this man. All right, Jamie, step aside. I've got this, all right? Okay. Harry Jones makes me so moist... I've got Gumby sending me messages saying, is there someone else? This kid, his efforts in terms of when he doesn't have the ball in his hand is absolutely incredible. He is constantly, constantly thinking his way through what his next move is going to be. You will see him constantly dropping back deep into the forward line and then finding a new way to lead, a new way to drop off his defender. He's kicked, uh, uh, you know, and I am guessing at the moment, it would be seven or eight goals for the year. It's not really a lot at the moment, but you are looking at a player that is heavily invested in his side, is very much working on his craft at the moment, and is clearly a very, very talented football player. This is my favourite guy to go and watch at the football at the moment. I am super keen every time I rock up just to see this guy play. And Harry, I would swipe right, mate. It's so true. It is so true. He's the guy that you want to go and watch. And it doesn't matter who gives a rats at the moment how many goals he's kicked. And he's kicked a significant amount. And he's handed off enough to, you know, say that he's a team player and bloody, bloody, blah. But he is the excitement machine that we've got at the minute. And and obviously that Cox and Perkins are great as well, but I reckon Jones is the man for the next, you know, five, six, eight, 12 years. He's going to be the guy. So I'm just going to interrupt the man love for Harrison Jones. And, and I do get it. Look, I do get it, but I will just interrupt. We will look forward to this Sunday, 4.40, the, the, the death slot um, against North Melbourne. Now, I will be honest, I have done very little research on North Melbourne for this coming game because I have very little interest in watching them. I mean, I turned it on for the last quarter of their game on Saturday purely because I wanted to laugh at Hawthorne. But, I mean, Jade, I'll, I'll, I'll throw to you. Are, you. are you going to this game? I'm not going to make the drive down because I just don't care about North Melbourne. I, I just can't find it in me to go and watch them play because they are such a poor team at the moment and if we lose this it would just be a real kick in the guts i mean it would literally feel like we've gone backwards if we were to lose this game and it's only one game but that's that's how bad i think they've been are they seriously an afl side well if you want to talk about their <laughs> bfl side for a moment uh I'll, I'll just quick shout out so their afl side has won one game this year their vfl side 
lost to Geelong by 79, to Frankston by 65, to Casey by 107, to Southport by 107, and to Box Hill by 108. So their VFL side is not even VFL standard. Their AFL side has not been AFL standard. I don't know where they can play. So North Melbourne have not only been relegated from the AFL, but to the VFL. But, but... I will give them a slight shout-out here, and that is after losing 20 straight games, they still managed to beat that absolute <laughs> truck of a side in Hawthorne, and God, don't they deserve that. <laughs> it was fantastic to watch, I, I, I will be honest. But I will bring you back to the subject of North Melbourne, because I think you're the same as me. Is there anything about this game that's going to be interesting to you? The, the reality of this is uh, it's a game, and probably for the first time this year, where we just simply have to win. North Melbourne uh, are not good. Their list is is terrible. It's likely to be terrible for years on end, yet they they shouldn't really be challenging many, if any, of the, the other 17 sides in the league. Uh, and yet I am terrified for Sunday. <laughs> and look, I've got to say I love... Ethan's reviews that he does and I never ever ever participate in his polls about who's going to win and I never ever ever comment because I always think now it's bad karma but I was very tempted this week to point out the fact that we've won five out of the last five and we're five nil and I didn't and I'm not going to now obviously because I think it's bad karma but I agree 100% Jade if we do not smash North Melbourne by a significant margin, I, I think I'm going to have to reassess where we are and where Truck is heading because that's where we should be at right now. Harry Jones will save us. North Melbourne's leading goal scorer for the year is Nick Larkey with 11 and then Jaden Stevenson with 10. Like, I mean, in comparison, we've got one, two, three, four players with 10 or more. And two of those have scored 20-plus, which are McDonald, Tipperwoody, and Hooker with 22 each. Stringer's got 12. I mean, Stringer's only played six games, and he's scored more than anyone in North Melbourne's list. But that's quite funny, because I, I would say that, you know, Stringer's injured. Tipper's eh, out of form a little bit. Hooker's badly out of form. So where are our goals coming from? I think you're fairly stiff to say <laughs> Tipper's out of form. I mean, he kicked two on the weekend. I think he kicked... He might have only got one last week, but he got three or four the week before against Carlton. No, I think you're stiff to say he's out of form. Such is the expectations of Waller. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good point. Fair point. Well, I think that's about all the time we're going to spend on the North Melbourne game until next week because <laughs> I'm already starting to feel like I'm, I'm going to nap here. So, so Jamie, we'll move off, off the games just for the, the time being, and I'll ask you something straight off the top of your head. Who do you think will be the captain of the Essendon Football Club round one, 2022? Will it still be Dyson Heppel or will it be somebody else? Ah. Uh... This is an excellent and a very controversial question. I think it... I actually, I hope it won't be Dyson Heppel. I hope he still plays without the burden of the captaincy. And I think it will be Zach Merritt. And I hope it will be Zach Merritt. But I'd be okay with a number of other options. But I think I'll put myself on record in saying that I think It'll be Zach Merritt, who will coach... Uh, sorry, not coach. He'll captain the Essendon Football Club in 2022. Now, you're saying hope it's Zach Merritt because 
that of course does mean he will have re-signed with us hopefully for a 10-year deal uh, so he can never ever leave us and and Jade who do you think will be captain round one start of next year it'll be Zach Merritt I'm pretty confident if he look I suspect that that whilst he should be paid and and he definitely should it's not really about money uh, for him in terms of where he's going to be playing next year and it is all about whether or not he feels like he can actually achieve a level of success at Essendon. So if he sees the same things that I'm looking at when I look at the side right now and looking at not only the talent that's coming through, but the fact that we are playing a game that looks like we can potentially uh, win games of football as we as we develop as a, uh, as a club and a side, then I think he'll stay. And if he stays, I think he's the logical choice to captain the side. I think it would be, much as I really do like Andrew McGrath, as a, as a long-term option for us, I, I think it's it's too soon to be naming him as as captain. And I think Merritt, both for his seniority uh, within the side and, and his exploits both on and off the field, would suggest that he's the likely candidate. I think most people would be in agreement. And look, if there are people out there that want to disagree with me, that's fine. Dyson Heppel needs to, needs to concentrate on just playing if he wants to play at all next year. So, um, and if he, if he is going to go on in, in 2022... That's great. I'm a firm believer in you shouldn't be retiring these players earlier than their their time actually comes. But I don't think he should be burdened with the captaincy. Doesn't mean he can't be a leader. Doesn't mean he can't influence around the club. But your captain is effectively a totem as far as your football club is concerned. And I think that guy is Zach Merritt. Cool. So essentially, Jade, you you agree with me. Okay. Basically, what I said was everything that Jade said. (laughs) Now, I I know I'm a little bit... of a different differing view to the board at the moment. Uh, obviously, to, I'm referring to the to the big footy board. Um, in that, I still think Dyson Heppel is actually performing at an extremely high level for the position he's playing. But I sort of went into more detail on that last week, so I won't bore everybody by getting on my soapbox again. The only thing I would say now, because you both nominated Zach Merritt, is if Zach Merritt is to leave, and Jade, I'll go back to you first this time. Who is captain then? Because I don't think McGrath's ready, but having said that, I'm also not sure we have a stopgap option available. And we have also seen how badly those have worked at a favourite club of ours in Hawthorne. In Ben Stratton and Ben McAvoy, if the Hawks had their time again, we would not have named either of those two captain, I personally believe. So should the worst happen and, and Zach leaves... Who's captain then? Is it Andrew McGrath? I think you have to go for uh, for Andrew McGrath as captain. I mean, it may be a little bit too early, but he wouldn't be the, the the first player that's been thrown into a role probably a little bit before his time. So it would be a, an extremely brave call if Zach Merritt were to leave the club, if Dyson Heppel were to stand down as captain, to not name McGrath as captain. Uh, if it wasn't going to be him, and I, I think this is probably your fourth option, uh, in terms of uh, which way you would go. I think looking at somebody like Darcy Parrish would not be the worst idea. Um, however, having said that, it, it is my strong view, and I think that um, that reality would likely play this out, that if uh, if Merritt is not captain next year and Heppel is not captain next year, then it has to be Andrew McGrath. Yeah, I think if you go to name Parrish as, as captain, you're probably in the same boat you are with McGrath in that he may be a little young for the role. And if you're going to name someone young, you, you name it McGrath. But, but Jamu, yes, same question to you. If it's not Zach Merritt, who is it? Yeah, and look, I disagree with you respectfully, obviously, that McGrath is not ready. 
I, and and I, I say, if Zach Merritt was not around, McGrath would be 100% next in line, the absolute spiritual leader and the obvious choice to be the captain. I just think that McGrath's leadership style, as opposed to Merritt's leadership style, are different and maybe diametrically opposed, but that's not a problem. And I think they could be co-captains, which I hate, but I think that one needs to be the captain, the vice captain. I think their leadership styles are great complementarily. So I, I guess my, my response is that if Zach Merritt left, absolutely Andy McGrath would be 100% the next leader, and I think that everyone would support that. But I just think that their two leadership styles are so different, but I just think what we need as a club right now is the Zach Merritt kind of leadership. But if he left, and let's just say Dyson Heffel also left, Andy McGrath, 100%, and everyone would get behind him as well. And I, I don't think that's a problem. To, and I don't think it's an issue to say that these got two guys that we have leading the club have different kind of leadership abilities and different kind of leadership styles. And I don't think we have to say we've got one or the other. I think the two of them can 100% jointly lead the club. And if one is going to be the captain and one's going to be the vice captain or whatever, I truly think that we're going to be really um, great to have them both leading the club. Yeah, and look, I'm not saying necessarily that McGrath isn't ready. I suppose I'm a little gun-shy on giving it to someone at such a young age, but you're right. He is fairly mature for his age, so he probably would be the, the step-up option to roll with. But that will do us for this evening, lads. We have come to the end of our time together. Once again, everybody, if you do want to get involved in the podcast, by all means, shoot through a message. We're always happy to have people on. We're always happy to try new things. But until next week, thank you all very much once again for listening.